the USL show, also known as The View for Soccer. I gave a very pro wrestling heel turn, I'm sorry you were offended apology. The US military discussing what a Naruto run is for the Area 51 raid. I feel angry. before I throw to myself talking to Troy Lassane. Uh Quick thanks to Roughneck Scars, roughneckscars.com, IcarusFC, uh, IcarusFC.com, and the Beautiful Game Network Podcast, BGN.FM, for uh, making all this very much possible. Um, yeah, talking to Troy. Um, quick 25-ish minutes or so for you here. Um, cover just about everything. It's, it's nice in a way to be able to talk to uh, the first and only head coach of a team's history because they can kind of take you through the entire process. And uh, with New Mexico being such a um, vast and diverse and different and very culturally aware club, it was... Uh, Nice to be able to see it um, up close and, and from the perspective of someone that's not necessarily um, in the front office and, and uh, who has certainly completely bought into the idea, but might and needed to to have some convincing um, to really join the project. So uh, Troy is is very generous with his time, really well thought out questions. Uh, is a very active listener, um, and so. Um, yeah, was excited for this one. Really good talk, and uh, hopefully all the best for them in in the future. And uh, I would be uh, a bit worried if you know someone that won co-coach of the year last year said I didn't really feel like I wanted that because we didn't progress very far in the playoffs. So um, that'll be an interesting one. Uh, apparently, I'm the West Coast coach interviewer this year so far, which has been a nice little change of pace, given that I'm so used to talking to uh, the East Coast personalities and, and seeing those guys. Uh, big thanks to David Carl and Lucas Cash over at New Mexico United for setting this up and doing it quickly. Without further ado, I'll stop talking so I can start talking. Here is New Mexico United head coach Troy Lassane. This call is being recorded. Now we're good to go. Okay, I'm going to uh, go ahead and uh, mute out Evan here so yeah, you guys no can just have your combo. Uh, feel free to you know jump in and reach down my throat if you need to. Um, I, I do a big old intro before all this starts. I kind of throw to myself. So that being said, uh, 2020 USL Coach of the Year, Troy Lassane is here. Coach, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Hey, listen, appreciate the time. I'm sure there's a million things, especially now that we have a couple dates uh, that you could be doing. But nevertheless, you're here. Um, ironically enough, speaking of superlatives, one of your colleagues on Monday told me that you might be the best dressed coach in the league. <laughs> well, I'd like to know who that is. That would be uh, Brendan Burke, actually. Oh, man. Well, he, he dresses pretty well himself. I, I learned from him. So I was oh, boy. I was an assistant oh, coach boy. at the Charlotte Independence for a number of years when he was at Bethlehem Steel. And, um, man, he set the standard for me. He wears a tie himself. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take that accolade from Brendan, that, that compliment from Brendan. Yeah, I was going to say, because, I mean, he's, you know, no shabby dresser himself. So if he said that you're the guy that's, you know, carrying the torch, so to speak, then that's got to mean something, right? 
Yeah, I, I dress that way for two reasons. One, I, I respect the job so much. I, just, I feel like that's that's a, a duty of mine to carry out and make sure that I look as professional as possible. And then secondly, I uh, I, I try to make myself look a, a little bit older. Um, if, if, I've, if you've ever heard an interview with me before, the best bit of banter that I ever got was because I was wearing a suit and my assistant coaches look older than I do. They uh, The Phoenix fans were – uh, constantly berating me saying, you know, can you tell your two older brothers, two way older brothers to take you oh, home from no. prom coach, uh, which I thought was, I had to laugh at that. I thought it was pretty clever. It's got to spur you on a little bit though, right? <laughs> no, you know? I, I, th- I thought it was pretty good stuff actually. That's good. Yeah. And it, it's funny, speaking of that, there's this kind of relatively young crop of coaches in USL to the point where like a fair bit of you guys are kind of doing like the same licensing courses, all that stuff. Like there seems to be a general kind of camaraderie um, with sort of you guys in your, in your mid to late thirties. You know, you had the advantage, I guess, of being uh, a very decorated collegiate coach. Um, But then you also learn from guys like um, Mike Jeffries, and I guess a little bit under uh, Mike Anhauser at Charleston. Um, you know, what was, what was that like, obviously getting to learn and kind of cutting your teeth on the, on the Eastern conference side of things. And even, you know, being a college coach and kind of coming up through those ranks. Yeah. It it is interesting to see that more younger coaches are getting more opportunities. And I think that's, that's definitely a good thing. Um, In my case, I was, I was an assistant coach for 15 seasons uh, prior to getting my first head coaching job. So, um, you know, and I think being a younger coach, being a younger head coach is mainly because my, my professional playing career was cut so short by mm. the fact that, I, you know, I wasn't going to progress probably to the MLS rank. So I knew I knew very early on that if I wanted to, to make it at a high level, it probably wasn't going to be through playing. It was going to be through coaching. Um, so, you know, I, I had a great experience at the College of Charleston uh, with both playing there and then being an assistant. Um, started out as a volunteer and was able to get nine seasons total as, as an assistant coach and really find my voice at the college level. Um, and then an, an opportunity came along with the Charleston Battery in, uh, in 2014, so the team that I played professionally for. My first year as, as, a, as a rookie in 2005 was Mike Anhauser's first season as, a, as the head coach. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, nine, nine ten years later, uh, I was his assistant and this guy, man, he is probably the best at identifying talent and, and obscure talent, maybe like uh, overlooked talent. And that's something that he just has such a keen eye for and something that I, I really tried to pick up on how he scouted. Um, and it was a, a wonderful experience being with him. And then, like you said, Mike Jeffries, I mean, this guy, he's he's been around um, so many different scenarios and is so generous with his knowledge of the game. He, he learned under, under Bob Bradley himself with the Chicago Fire. Uh, he did it himself with FC Dallas as a head coach, came back for a second stint at Chicago, and that was an education really in a different way for four seasons with him about how to, how to build something from the ground up because that's what we did in Charlotte. You know, It was uh, an inaugural, inaugural season in 2015 when we worked together. So that experience really helped translate into my first head coaching job, building – from scratch at an organization in New Mexico. Yeah, this is the 
second time around for you as far as being a coach of and, and kind of doing the whole inaugural season expansion kind of thing because you were, like you said, with Charlotte and then obviously you've been the head coach, the only head coach uh, with New Mexico United. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of challenges, I think, that come with trying to build a roster, especially with, with the way the USL's changed since, you know, even – I started really digging into it in 2016, obviously since you were a player and then a coach and, and being around the league, um, did, did expanding twice help you in, in any way? Was there things that you learned at Charlotte that you were able to apply in New Mexico? And then, you know, obviously having Augie and, and Jeffries be guys that are very good at finding those diamonds in the rough, did that age you at, at New Mexico at all? Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. I, I think that the experience of the roster build, it's talking specifically about that, um, there's there's two big things. So one, trying to keep continuity within a group, and that's something that we've done a, a really good job here. We have a great foundation of players that are coming into their third season, and you know you see you see the results from year one to year two get better, and we hope year two to year three. Um, while keeping a, a really good core of, of what we started with, then you're able to add in uh, some some different pieces that might provide more depth or might pro- provide more talent. But inevitably, you're not turning over a roster year in year out, which sometimes happens in the USL for for different reasons. So that was I learned that from both the Charleston Battery experience and the Charlotte experience. Um, and then and then to your point, you know you have to you have to be able to uh, with the limitations of, of our player salary budget, um, we're not able to just go out and just buy any player we want. So you have to do your homework um, for, for the players that are young and up and coming. Um, and then some of those that are just overlooked by other USL teams or, or MLS teams where they just didn't get as, as much of a shot. Um, you know, a good example of that, I think, is someone like uh, Salim Mohammed. Salim Mohammed was a really young, talented player, went to the San Francisco Deltas with Mark uh, DeSantos and got injured and then kind of bounced around. He was at Penn FC um, mm-hmm. and he landed with us and, you know, he, he really he took his career to a different level and uh, he was someone we had under contract this past year, but Oakland wanted to bring him back home and, and uh, was able to pay a transfer fee for him. But, you know, Salih had been around. He He's a player that a lot of teams could have, could have gone after, but just the situation didn't, um, makes sense for him and the clubs that, you know, maybe had brought him in for trials, but it made sense for us. Um, and, and there's a lot more examples of those, I think. Yeah. And then, you know, New Mexico United has always been an interesting project from, I think, even a, a, a greater communal standpoint. And, and it's a little bit funny because, you know, to your credit and to, and to Peter, the owner's credit, and to, you know, the front office's credit, you guys seem to really get that community club, um, almost cliche now, into action and, and really do a lot of work with that, especially with the, with the cultural center coming in with the, with the new stadium. Yeah, uh, man, I, this was a big deal for our owner, Peter Trevisani and president. You know, he's, he's on the uh, ground level with us and in the trenches every single day um, and, and really is, is leading the charge about building something beyond what happens on the field. But this was a big deal to him in the hiring process. He wanted to have someone that bought into putting time and energy uh, to developing these 
these relationships with the community um, individually and, and collectively and, and, you know, the, the idea of a relationship being reciprocal and so many times we set up as a professional organization, uh, a scenario where we want the community to support us. Um, it's our responsibility to support the community as well here in New Mexico. And and we believe in that. And that, that goes back to selecting the right individuals to come in to be a part of, of our club. David Estrada is a phenomenal example. Uh, he went from being a player that I work with in Charlotte, uh, that I, that I knew, man, this is a guy that not only is talented on the field, but is very talented off the field and will help build that sense of community that will resonate with the people here in New Mexico. And, and now he's, he's retired and he's going to be working with our front office towards building community efforts as well as working on the coaching side. So selecting these types of people as part of our roster that were not only going to help us get results on the field, but really get results off the field is something that I think has really struck a chord with, with, uh, you know, the people of New Mexico, um, because we care, man, we, we show up in different ways, Evan, than I think other clubs do. We don't ask for it to be one way, man. It is a two way street at all times. Was it, Interesting to you being from the Southeast, you're very much a, a Charleston guy, grew up there, spent your whole life there, and then to, or at least the Carolinas, and then to move over to New Mexico United and, and try to hit the ground running and really sort of embrace a community like that while trying to, you know, build all of these players out and, and figure out how you want to play. Like, what was the, I don't want to say buying in personally part of it for you, but you know, there was about 800 other things that you were doing and then it goes to, okay. And now we have to do a lot of community outreach. Like, was that, uh, I'm sure it was a unique experience for you, but does that sort of add to the difficulty of the, of the day-to-day soccer stuff for you? The, I wouldn't use the term difficult necessarily mm-hmm. because once you, once you start to put time and energy towards building a community, like we've, we've built it, certainly it, it it's challenging to have that put on your plate as well, but then you get to see the result of it um, right. and, the, and the groundswell that really took place where we show up. I'll never forget Evan going into our first match at home at Isotopes Park versus Fresno in 2019. And we'd sold, I think 5,000 tickets on, you know, the, the Friday before roughly. Mm-hmm. And then Peter's calling me on Monday and it's at 6,000 and it's going to 7,000 on Tuesday, 8,000, 9,000. And, you know, my experience in the USL as both a player and, and a coach for so many years has been, you might get that in an FC Cincinnati or back mm. in the day when I was a player, Montreal impact had a, a wonderful mm. crowd uh, before going to the MLS, but rarely do you get above 5,000 and we walk out and there's, you know, 11,000 at our, at our first home match. And you think about all the, you know, the year, the, the roughly the year that we'd spent building towards our first home match, um, to, to build that sense of community. And, and it, and it, that makes you feel like, okay, it's paying dividends because people see that it's certainly a, a great opportunity to come watch high level soccer, but really it's about being part of something bigger than, you know, what, what they are as an individual. And, uh, that, that sense of belonging is, Man, that's incredible. And and so difficult's not the word I would use. I also would say 
I mean, Evan, I, I interviewed for, you name a job in the USL that was open and I interviewed mm. for it and, uh, or I, or I tried to. So Peter, <laughs> Peter gave me this opportunity and he was saying, look, this is part of the job. And man, I wasn't going to let him down because he was, mm. he was giving me the opening that I was so desperate for. Did that impact or, or that, I don't know, desire to, to build community relations and and really become a, a, a place of, of unity and, and, you know, pride for, for a city and, and maybe even a state, I suppose. Did that sort of impact the way you wanted to set up and, and play? Um, did that sort of make you go, all right, well, we should really try to, to – be a little bit more entertaining and, and be more fluid and, and things like that in the first year directly. I know there was a, a little bit of a reputation, at least that we gave you of being a bit of a shootout team in 2019 where you'd see these huge goal yeah. fests this year. You've seemed to yeah. sort of balance that out a little bit. Yeah. I, I think you're there. There was a pressure to, so, so part of our style of play is to try to take the initiative, you know, both in possession and out of possession. Mm -hmm. So, in possession, we, we, we like to have possession, but we're not necessarily hyper-focused on the percentage of possession that we have so much as the efficiency of the, the possession. That's a big deal for us. And then on the flip side, we, we definitely want to go and make it difficult on the opponent high up the field or, you know, slightly in our, in our mid-high block. Um, so we want to we try to press and get opportunities uh, out, of, out of that scenario as well. And that is entertaining. I mean, that, and, and so there, when there's a fairly big crowd that shows up to every one of your matches, right. you want to make sure that they come back. And, uh, and I think you, you hit it, you know, spot on with the analysis. We, I think in a first year, I was a lot more focused on the, the attacking side. And, uh, as a result, man, we, I think we scored some great goals, um, and some, some really, you know, we had some big moments there on the attacking side, but defensively we, we were poor. And, uh, and I think that that, that has a lot to do with me as well. I don't think that I focused on that often enough. I also think we added some different pieces in, in the second year, you know I mean? Like Kalen Ryden is massive. Um, so yeah, we focused defensively a little bit more in year two, but, uh, inevitably we had Andrew Tenari uh, in the center of the field. We just, we had guys that were going to do a little bit more defensively um, and, and make that, you know, a focus for us to improve. Um, but yeah, it, it was, I think it was pressure. There was pressure to make sure that we entertain and reflect what New Mexico is, you know, and, that, and that's a hardworking blue collar community. And then, you, you sort of, I mean, you know, winning coach of the year, co-coach of the year is huge for you, I imagine. Second year, you sort of level things out defensively. Looking forward to, to this year coming up, I mean, Isidro Martinez comes through. Sergio Rivas, I think, is, a, is another great signing. Um, is that a little more of an intent for, for flexibility tactically? Are we trying to sort of bolster that area of the field, or what was the – sort of idea with bringing those two guys on? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the coach of the year um, recognition, and I, and I say this, you know, not as a humble statement, I, it's just the truth. I think it, it was completely a reflection of what our, our organization went through mm -hmm. 
having to play every match on the road. And, you know, I, I take tremendous pride in, in uh, being nominated and, and, and I am appreciative of that. But ultimately, I, I want to be recognized for something like that because we won our group, you know, El Paso won our group, and then we lost in penalties to El Paso. So, mm-hmm. you know, I look at, I think Mark did a better job getting his team to a further position. And, and that's how we should be judged. Um, and I, and I, again, I'm appreciative. And I think like the, there should be recognition for what our, our club did this past year. Cause it was crazy. Mm-hmm. I, I think most clubs would have gone the other direction, having to play all matches on the road. But man, I, I would like to be recognized for that, for winning a trophy, you know, or, mm-hmm. or, or winning you know, the, the conference. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so there's that. And then the signings and additions for year three, look, we lost Chris Weehan, and so that's in year one we lost Santi and Kev, and mm-hmm. we were able to to go and, and uh, make some replacements and, and do still pretty well attacking-wise, but maybe not quite as hit the same highs um, goal-wise goal as we wanted to uh, in year two. Year three, uh, we lose Chris Weehan, and so we've got to go and replace someone like that who was a big part of our production uh, and over the course of his two years. And uh, and Sergio is going to be capable of doing that. Cedro is going to be capable of doing that. Ilya Illich is going to be capable of doing that. He's a, he's a fantastic attacking player um, that I'm really excited to work with. And uh, and then we have you know a, a couple more signings, Evan, that I can't talk to you about, but sure. I think are going to add to that attack as well as continue to firm up what we did defensively. Mm-hmm. And then uh, interestingly, speaking of signings that that. Uh, were un- unknown to us when we started talking. Uh, I was going to talk about the New Mexico United Academy signing like six people in the right. last couple of days. And then of course, 20 minutes ago, we have a goalkeeper. Um, so the Academy has been quite busy uh, yeah, for you. And as someone that, you know, obviously has strong roots in the college game and sort of that line of development and, and who I would imagine would love to be able to bring in guys that have played since they were eight through your first team. How how impressive or how big is it for for you as the coach, the technical director, to see this academy really building itself up in year three? Yes, yeah, it's, it's exactly the direction that we wanted to to go, and uh, and I, we actually probably got there a year earlier than than we expected to to have a, a mm-hmm. full a full time academy in place. But there's there's a lot of talent in New Mexico. If you look at our roster right now, we have five players that are under con- first team contracts that are from New Mexico. We'll have two more uh, academy players that actually sign first team academy contracts, um, which so that you know we'll have a roster of about 21 to 23, and a third of our roster is from New Mexico. And so what that that tells you is is that there's talent here. There's talent in our state. A lot of times that talent, as it gets older, leaves to go to you know uh, San Antonio or the Rapids or Portland, and mm-hmm. that choice is made because. Maybe they didn't have the avenue of, of, of a professional environment here in New Mexico. Um, it's also cost-free, and, and we take down that financial barrier of being able to have a fully funded academy program for these young players that aspire to get to the first team. And, man, that's that's what it's all about. Um, and, and we want to keep talent here in New Mexico and not let it go anywhere else. And then – there's been a there's been a bit of a shift um maybe within the last 
I don't know, five or so years, I, I think, especially at the top plate of American soccer, um, of sort of turning the college game or, or turning college players into a bit of a um, lesser than. Like if they're not homegrowns or they're not from your academy and then go to college and then come back, you know, it's not as valuable or, or the talent's not there. Um, but then I look at USL and obviously the experiences that a lot of the coaches in USL have as being collegiate players and, and coming up as coaches through those systems. Um, I would, I would love to know what uh, your thoughts are on that. And then obviously with, you know, a, a lot of colleges, not, not necessarily directly around your area, but in the greater, you know, Western part of the country that have really good talent. Is that something where you're looking at those guys and saying, well, if I get him, I'm a really lucky guy. Yeah, well, I think the, the college system um, is is still incredibly, incredibly valuable towards, you know, creating and developing professional players because it, there's just different pathways in the states that uh, players will have and go through. And maybe maybe that, that player that's 15, 16, 17 years old is ready to sign a professional contract, and that's the right opportunity for them coming through our academy to, to play with the first team and go ahead and become a professional we're, we're excited about that opportunity, but there's also two other avenues. There's another avenue towards college that we want to create for, for talented players that maybe they're just not quite ready and it's better for them not to, to take away their amateur status. And then, and then there's also the scenario, we talk about this with some of the MLS clubs or clubs overseas that we have connections with. Maybe, maybe we reach a point with a top player that we just can't provide them even with New Mexico United, what they need. So they need to go on to, to somewhere else, um, either domestically or overseas. And uh, all of those are, are routes that are successful. For the, for the college route, man, I still, I'm still scouting college players and still very, very connected to the college game because I believe in it. And I believe in so many of the programs that do it right and develop players you know, in, in the right fashion. And then I'll, I'll uh, reluctantly let you go after after this one. I, I appreciate the time. It's uh, always nice to go to school when talking to coaches. But uh, year three for Troy Lassane, what is the what is the goal? What are you what are you happy with? What are you striving for? Well, the goal would be to number one. It's not year three for for me as an individual. Um, yeah, it's year it's, thirty or so for I, you. <laughs> it's uh, no. I'm I'm saying I don't look at it as like my individual progress. It's always mm. goes back to our staff, our team. It's just it's not it's not me and my vision, man. There's so many people that are involved yeah. in New Mexico United in year three going forward as trying to be a, a championship contender. I think we took a big step towards that in year two under some trying circumstances where we were a, a lot more legitimate making it to the Western Conference semifinals and being penalties away from making it to the Western Conference finals. So so our goal is to, on field, make steps towards progressing to, to compete for a trophy both regular season-wise and certainly in the playoffs. Um, and then off the field – show up, continue to show up, continue to put effort into so many of the projects that, that we believe in. Um, the Diversity Fellowship Program is launching this year, so we're going to take action towards so much, so many of the injustices that happen for people of color and women 
um, by having two candidates that are selected as coaches that can go through a track with us. Maybe it materializes into a job, but inevitably it's going to help progress, you know, the, the their careers. Um, and, and, you know, so many other projects that we're involved in keep showing up that way because our community shows up for us and supports mm-hmm. our club in a big way. So that's year three, man, for, for us is, is on the field and off the field. Troy, really appreciate the time. Uh, like I said, it's, uh, it's an affirmation that I do not know nearly as much about soccer as I like to think sometimes in my in my base of fantasies. Um, all the best of luck in, in year three, and it's, it's really been a, a pleasure to watch you guys grow the last couple of years, for sure. Thanks, Evan. I appreciate the time, man, and uh, look forward to catching up again soon. Yep.